14 of the FCPA compliant. The FCPA compliance report is sponsored by Advanced Compliance Solutions. And I'm excited to announce a new service offering through Advanced Compliance Solutions, which is a three-part process designed to provide messaging for your product or service through a liaison with your executive leadership team. Part two is sponsoring my one-month podcast series to get your name into the compliance market space in the broadest possible way into the widest possible compliance field. And step three is to provide training and ongoing support to your sales team around the message that we've developed from this process. If you'd like more information, please contact me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Today I have a real treat for you because I have back with me John Champion, one half of the missionlog.com podcast, which takes a look at every episode of the Star Trek canon television series and movies. We're into season five for John and his partner, Ken Ray, in The Next Generation. And I take uh, a look at John's reflections of the 50th year anniversary of Star Trek, what he uh, and Ken learned from last year's conference and convention season, and take a look uh, forward into what may be coming up for the podcast series. The episode comes in at uh, just over 25 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to the FCPA Compliance Report. Today, I am thrilled to have back with me John Champion. John is one half of a human-robot combination that has the best <laughs> Star Trek uh, podcast, I think, out there. MissionLogPodcast.com, where they are going through every episode of every television series. And we are in, I think, year five of uh, TNG. Is that right, John? Yeah, well, you know, we just started season six. Season yeah, we six, just right. wrapped up five, just started six. So uh, you uh, and uh, your robot partner, Ken Ray, um, mm -hmm. although maybe he's not a robot, maybe he is a synthetic human would be the better term since we're now. Well, he might be that. He might just be a brain in a jar. You know, it, it's really hard to say because <laughs> the, the technology changes and uh, he, he's got to keep up. That's that's well said. But you guys went through uh, really at one of the top anniversaries in the Star Trek world last year, which was the 50th anniversary of the premiere of the original series. And you guys did a series of events. There were some uh, fantastic conferences that you all both attended. And I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about your experience in really being a part of the 50 year 50th anniversary celebration of all things Star Trek. Yeah, well, you know, there was certainly a lot of anticipation around the 50th. And for us, it was particularly interesting because where we are with Mission Log, in the last four and a half years, having covered uh, the original series, the animated series, the original cast movies, and the first, at that time, the first four seasons of Next Gen, um, we had arrived at the 25th anniversary of Star Trek in our coverage, kind of where we were in time, um, as we were then celebrating in real time the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. So all of that stuff was on our minds. And for me in particular, you know, I have to say that it really started back in May of last year, May of 2016, 
going to the uh, Paramount fan event on the lot for uh, kind of the sneak preview of Star Trek Beyond. And uh, that, I, I did not know what to expect. I, I've been, uh, and this wasn't, to be clear, it wasn't a screening of the full movie, um, but I, I've been to events at Paramount before, and it's usually a couple hundred people, and there's this one theater that I'm used to going into, and, and it's really pleasant, and it's kind of low-key, and, you know, they give you cookies and a fruit plate afterward, you know, and that's kind of what I expected. This was absolutely no holds barred, one of the coolest events I've been to. Um, we uh, There were easily over a thousand of us and we're ushered in to one, uh, uh, one soundstage that had this massive, very futuristic set. And then out comes Adam Savage. And then you've got Chris Pine and Zach Ganto and um, gosh, J.J. Uh, Abrams was there and Justin Lin was there and Carl Urban. And it's a show. I mean, it's a show about Star Trek. And then we go outside and we see the dedication of that area as Leonard Nimoy Way, because that those are the original studio buildings for Star Trek, the original series was shot. Um, then we go into another room where we get to see footage from Star Trek Beyond. Then they open that up and they have a display with uh, props and costumes, food and drink are flowing and just everybody's there to mingle and hang out. That was absolutely unbelievable. And then the coup de grace is that um, they gave us all gift bags at the end of that. And one of the gifts in there was an invitation to the world premiere screening at Comic-Con uh, just a couple of months later. And that was a mind blowing experience too. Fireworks on a live orchestra and um, just sort of everybody there behind it, everybody there excited about seeing new Star Trek. Um, so those were the highlights for me. I, I got to see the movie at a press screening kind of earlier on and just incredibly positive, incredibly exciting. Um, then Ken and I were a part of the 15th anniversary convention in Vegas. Uh, this was new for us because normally we're there and we have a table and we do a little something on stage one day. This year, the convention was five days and we had a stage presentation every day of those five days. So we were very busy and um, it was so worth it. <laughs> it was a blast. And that really came through on the on the podcast. Uh, one of the things or themes that seemed that you really explored throughout the year, and I'm not sure there was a resolution or even an intended resolution, but the question you guys posed was this 25 year kind of demarcation of Star Trek and uh, what it was like in the first 25 years sort of with Gene and what it was like in the second 25 years with without Gene's direct involvement. Uh, where did you guys, how did that exploration go for you all? And I guess with Rod as well. Yeah, you know, we, we were trying to think of some unique angle to bring to the convention this year. Um, because it's one thing just to say, well, we'll do an episode of Mission Log, it'll be a Q&A and it'll be live and we'll record it and release it as a podcast later. But, but we really wanna go in with a theme or, or with an idea to hook that conversation around. And 
it, it just sort of happened to land as I looked at where we were headed with the podcast that we're going to reach those episodes very soon of Next Gen um, that were released right when Gene died. Well, they, they were in production, obviously, ahead of time. Um, so he died in December of 91, and you had episodes that were in production at that moment, and then the episodes that aired after um, after he had passed away, so they put the in memoriam uh, tag on those episodes. And um, it, it just seemed like that was sort of a natural thing. We were celebrating 50 years, but he was around for exactly 25 years. If you go from the date of uh, the premiere, September 8th, 1966, clearly he had been writing Star Trek before that, and they had shot the original pilot in uh, 65. But... Um, it, it seemed like not only was that a natural thing to sort of build a discussion around, it seemed like that sort of one of those ongoing discussions in fandom anyway is asking ourselves if Star Trek is fundamentally different with Gene's influence or not. And honestly, it may sound like a little bit of a cop-out um, from my point of view, but I, I think it's a bit of an unfair question just because no one person makes a TV show. And for as much influence as Gene had from the beginning as the creator of the show, a lot of that power was handed over to a lot of other people who had great influence on what Star Trek became. So if you start just from the production end, you know, you had Herb Solo, Gene Kuhn, and Bob Justman, who were really the... Um, you know, equal to Gene, uh, sometimes kind of outranking Gene in terms of what what they would push through push through for a show. Then you also had the the stable of writers who were there, who were coming from all sorts of backgrounds. You know, Gene really wanted the best of the best of science fiction writers to come on board. And then you even you sort of work your way down the chain from that. The actors themselves are redefining those roles and those characters as they perform them. So there's so many more influences on Star Trek than just one person could have. But it does seem like this is, uh, this is one place that a lot of fans tend to hang their hats to say, Star Trek is Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry is Star Trek. When Gene was gone, it became something else. Um, I, it, to me, it's a little simplistic. Um, but it, it's, it's certainly a good enough starting off point to have a conversation. So you said a couple of things in there I'd like to unpack. Uh, mm -hmm. Really, the, f the first was uh, I really liked uh, – most people think that if you ask a question or a series of questions, you don't uh, – you have to come up with an answer. And I think you explained why sometimes the, the exploration or the journey is as important as the questions themselves. But the, the other thing was when you really explained where you ended up on your on that question's journey – that's something mm -hmm. you have, you and Ken have both explored in detail in each episode, and you have made it clear who wrote the story, who came up with the idea, uh, who was the showrunner, who was the producer, 
Who are the actors? Yeah. Who are the guest stars? And that's a big part of each podcast. And it allows you to talk about then in the rest of the podcast, after introducing them, their individual contributions down to an actor suggesting a different line. Or if an actor got sick and something had uh, something had to happen to take its place or on a, on a subsequent reshoot, how all that mm -hmm. tied in together. So you have explained that throughout um, your journey in missionlogpodcast.com. And uh, really, uh, um, I've appreciated the way you guys have done that. But to come up with that answer, I think, is, is completely valid. Yeah, you know, it, it would be one thing if, and, and this is where it gets very tricky with Star Trek, it would be one thing if you're treating it sort of like religious dogma, <laughs> you know, that, that Gene came down from the mountain holding the books of Star Trek, and this is how they would be forevermore. But, but we know that that's not what it is. We know that's not what the intention was. And we know that Gene himself changed over time. You know, his idea of Star Trek is really more predominant in the first couple of seasons of the original series, then coming back around for the animated series, but really only about half of that, and then coming back around for the motion picture. There's, there are big, big chunks of Star Trek, even while Gene was alive, that didn't have a lot to do with Gene. So when you get past the motion picture, the movies really handed off to other people. When you get to the next generation, he had influence on the first season, but even as that is in production and winding down that first season, he has less and less to do with the show. So, um, and I always point to that period in the 70s when Star Trek was not on the air, as I think that's kind of a critical time. This is Gene building the myth of Gene. This is a guy who has the opportunity to go out and talk to fans, whether it's at conventions or on the college lecture circuit, and really start to narrow down that message that he wants other people to hear and, and how he wants them to think of him as the guy behind Star Trek. So I, I definitely hold to the idea that um, he had some amazing ideas, some very prescient, very thoughtful ideas of what kind of show Star Trek would be from the beginning. Certainly that idea of um, exploring social issues, exploring issues of humanity and the human condition, those were always there. But it really took that time in the 70s for him to kind of narrow down, okay, we're setting out a vision for the future. And, and we really want to dig deeply into what that means about humanity. So um, I, I think that's kind of a critical time in understanding who he is and understanding how Star Trek changed. You know, Next Generation is a very different show in tone, in scope, and in character than the original series. They, they couldn't be more different, <laughs> you know, right. um, particularly when you, when you start with the captains and, and work your way down from there. But that was gene changing as well. That was 40-year-old Gene versus 60-something-year-old Gene. And that was Gene who had been through the trials and tribulations of creating shows and losing shows and kind of batting around a thousand ideas that didn't go anywhere until he finally got one that stuck again that he could, uh, that he could carry off. 
So let me change uh, the focus just a little bit, John, because you and I had uh, some dialogue earlier, or I guess last summer, and in part of that dialogue, you talked about uh, one of the things that was Rod's vision for the show, and it was to have uh, something akin to uh, a show per episode of television, uh, of each television series, but up on a shelf, and it would remain as fresh um, from the day it was recorded to the day it was played to 10 years down the road. So if someone wanted to go back to the first season of TOS 10 years from now, it would still be a, um, a very valuable and useful and entertaining uh, exercise. And I was really intrigued on that vision, how he communicated it to you, but he, he really left it to you and Ken to execute on that vision. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, uh, that was one of the more kind of intimidating things about doing Mission Log. Um, but I think it was a really smart decision and a smart directive on Rod's part was to say, um, you know, there are a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there. So what do we do to differentiate ourselves? Well, for one thing, we're a little bit different by deciding to go episode by episode for every version of Star Trek that has been made. So that that's one thing that's unique. Um, but he was sort of trying to think about it like a DVD commentary track. Not that we're going scene by scene and, and describing what's going on or, or reacting to what's going on, but the idea that you know you can put in a DVD or a Blu-ray, you can watch the movie, you can watch the TV episode, but then you can flip over to the commentary track, and that commentary track is something that is new, fresh, and exciting, but it isn't tied down to a specific day or date. Um, so we, we really kind of struggle with that because Star Trek has this history of social commentary, and it's one thing to look at an episode that came out in 1967, 1968, that has direct commentary on, say, the Vietnam War. And you know that they were writing that episode with that in mind. Well, we're 40 plus years past the Vietnam War now. So how do we put that into a new context? How do we find the big themes that are still relevant? And fortunately, the show stands on its own well enough that that really hasn't been a problem. Um, but what we try to avoid is saying like, okay, here we are in early 2017 and the world is in this sort of politically volatile state, we try to stay away from saying things that are specific to policy or politicians who are on the scene right now. So we might be able to speak in vague terms and say, wow, he here's where tensions lie. He here's where nationalism is dangerous or, or maybe not. Here's sort of the the, the tide of, of uh, where people are going when they, when they express themselves politically. But we try not to pin that on individuals or individual movements because then we would sound dated. The, then it would really be, um, oh, okay, well, here's a show that's clearly recorded in you know, December 2016, and it only has a shelf life of a few weeks. And once you get past that, you're wondering, wait, why are these guys talking about something that happened months ago or years ago. So hopefully, hopefully we've hit that sweet spot where we're talking about issues that are relevant and current, but they'll be able to hang on a little bit longer because those issues continue to be issues for human beings. 
So um, now I'd like to turn to we. You've gone through, of course, multiple of the really iconic episode television episodes throughout uh, the series. But um, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I wanted to focus on a couple from TNG. Sure. Best of Both Worlds and um, Data's Head, which were <coughs> two part episodes that it ended. <coughs> excuse me, ended the um, ended a season and were cliffhangers. And I, mm-hmm. um, it's it's incredibly fun for me to listen to those podcasts because I'm taken back to those episodes and how much fun they were. They were so good. But I was wondering if uh, you guys have to really do anything different when you have uh, such an iconic episode, really, other than kind of get out of the way and, and let the episode tell its own story. Yeah, you know, the, the tough thing is... We hear from people, obviously, all the time who uh, preemptively will tell us, oh, this episode is great or this episode is terrible. And what I have to do when I sit down to watch an episode, I've got to put everything else out of my mind about how important or how bad or how well received or how poorly received a particular episode was. And I also have to put aside my own personal memory of that episode. You know, um, I, I don't I don't want to be in the same headspace that I was in 1992 and and just sort of taking the episode on those merits. I, I need to watch it with fresh eyes. Um, so that that's one reason that I really try not to watch ahead as well. So if I'm flipping channels one night and there's an episode of Next Gen on BBC that I haven't gotten to yet in our rewatch for Mission Log, I'll skip it. I, I don't want to watch it because I don't want that to taint kind of my process for getting to know these shows all over again. Um, so that that's one thing. When we get to the really big, well-known episodes, those can be a little bit intimidating. You mentioned Iborg, um, Time's Arrow, where they go back in time and meet Mark Twain. You know, I, I remember those being fun, thought-provoking episodes. Um, Time's Arrow more, more so just fun, because why not? Um, <laughs> it, you know, if you're going to have them go back in time, why not have them meet Mark Twain? Uh, so... I, I, the first thing that I try to do, particularly if it's a two-parter, is try to make a determination, and Ken and I will usually talk about this ahead of time, try to make a determination if the themes in those two episodes are different from each other. And if they are, do you tell, do you tell that on Mission Log as a two-parter or as a single story, a single episode? So far, we've only done the two-parters as single episodes and there was only one time where we thought that was a mistake right um that i I think it was with unification Mm -hmm. that we felt like we should have done those separately um but otherwise you know you look at an episode like um uh, uh best of both worlds and particularly with uh time zero and you say, well, this is a complete story there are slightly different themes given weight more so than another theme in one episode versus another episode, but you can really kind of tie it all together. So it seemed like a natural that we approach those as one story. The uh, iBorg episode, I really enjoyed that. And it had, um, 
I don't want to say one of the most troubling themes, maybe that's the right word, one of the most perhaps thought-provoking, because mm-hmm. it was really about annihilation of a species, genocide. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. we've had lots of morals in lots of Star Trek episodes, from the personal to um, planet-wide, but here we had an entire species. And you guys spent a lot of time talking about that moral quandary and that uh, – I guess when I first saw that episode, thinking back, you know, why wouldn't you kill off the Borg knowing what we, what was coming mm-hmm. down the road? Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that it was portrayed in Star Trek and the way you guys handled it, I think, spoke almost to the spirit of Gene Roddenberry and to the spirit of Star Trek. Uh, certainly within the character of Jean-Luc Picard, it was well within his character to come to the conclusion that he did. And I found it really one of the more thought provoking ones that I've listened to lately. Uh, well, thank you for that. And uh, I think you used the right word earlier as well, which is troubling. And I would even go so far as to say that, you know, if James Kirk had been faced with the same issue, the same question, I, you know, what does he do in every episode? He he relies on the people around him to help him come to the right and ethical and moral decision. And that would be Spock and that would be McCoy. And McCoy would tell him, you can't condemn an entire civilization to death, <laughs> you know? And Spock would probably tell him something along the lines of, you know, to eradicate an entire species is illogical. Uh, so I think that Kirk would have probably come to the same conclusion, um, even if it hadn't played out exactly the same way. I'm to this day shocked and surprised at the number of comments that we've gotten from people who think that Picard's original reaction, which was to completely wipe out the Borg, was the correct course of action and that he was wrong by not doing that at the end of the episode. And I try to understand that position from where they're coming from, because they are looking at the Borg as a single entity, uh, as sort of a, you know, like a, a cold or a flu virus, where every one of those virus, viri, are identical. They have a single purpose and they do nothing but wreak havoc. Um, But I think Star Trek very specifically, because the Borg are not real, because Star Trek is not real, and it's clearly a show set up to examine the human condition and examine what we think our morals and our ethics are as human beings, it's taking things to an extreme, and it's saying you have to look at your enemy as someone or something that you can identify with, you can empathize with, that's the only way that you will grow. And the best way that we could think of to draw a parallel was to say, in our own recent history, let's look at World War II, it would be wrong to look at the Nazi regime as a single entity of a single mind. Now, yes, the orders are of a single entity and of a single mind. But meeting the individual soldier, the individual person who is within that, and just deciding, well, all of them, man, woman, and child, should be eradicated because the philosophy behind them is wrong, that's absolutely incorrect. It would be absolutely incorrect to inflict genocide on a people because we disagree with a philosophy. So... 
yeah, that that's where that episode is really challenging. It says, what what will you do if you can actually look your enemy in the eye and see that there is humanity there? That's the challenge that everybody in that episode takes. Picard takes it. Guinan takes it. She has a great uh, change of heart, a great sort of arc in that episode. So, um, yeah, that, that's where we were coming from. And I think that's what was so intriguing about that show. And I'd like to conclude with uh, the episode Relics. And full disclosure, it's one of my top five episodes in the entire Star Trek canon. (laughs) Nice. uh, Nice. But here's – and uh, I think it it stands up, but but perhaps for a different reason. And I don't know if this would really fit into the the messages that you guys are trying to communicate because you do take each episode really on its – to stand or fall on its own legs. But for me, one of the reasons it was so successful is it honored the entire sweep of Star Trek in a way that every – a generation of watcher or listener could relate to. So obviously for someone like myself who grew up with the original series, it honored Scotty, but it also honored uh, TNG. And even I thought a little bit, the animated series for those who knew uh, James Dolan uh, was one of the top voices in that series. So I thought it was a way to really honor the scope and sweep of all of the TV series to date while wrapped around a story about, uh, you know, a man potentially uh, not being out of place or, or not fitting in and not knowing how to fit in going forward. Um, so that was kind of my take on it. Yeah, no, I, I think there are great morals, meanings, messages in there. I think, it, it, like you said, it's also a, a good tribute to have that character revisit because it, it kind of felt like it kind of felt like a little bit of a blow-off to have uh, McCoy there as, uh, what was he, 147 years old when <laughs> right. they brought him on board the Enterprise, right? And then, and you had Spock, but then it wasn't a lot of Spock, and it wasn't a really great episode uh, that he was in. Now, Sarek was phenomenal. Yes. Um, that was a really just heartbreaking, emotional story uh, to see him in there. And what a good use of that character um, to to be able to tell a wider scope uh, of a tale with that character. Um, I think with Relics, uh, for me, it's one of those where everybody's heart is absolutely in the right place. I just kind of wish that somebody else had written it, you know? Um, I, I think that they, they, they found the beats that were right. They found the idea of, well, Scotty's got to feel like a fish out of water. Absolutely, he does. And the other people on the Enterprise have got to feel a little uncomfortable because here's this guy sort of forcing himself on them, but they don't know him and he doesn't know the same um, procedural stuff that they do. So I, I understand the tension that's there, but I also think that Scotty would be amazed and excited about being there. And and not just sort of grumpy and and kind of a kind of a goofball. I also think, and you know, Ken and I really called out um, Picard and Riker and everybody else about this um, in the episode uh, "The Neutral Zone," where they thought out the the three humans from 20th century Earth, and nobody seemed to care 
They were from 20th century Earth. They just sort of beat it into their heads like, well, this is the 24th century and we're better now. And it's like, where is your historic curiosity? <laughs> you know, right. I, I would think that I, I was dying for a scene in Relics where I think a very, very moving scene with Picard and Scotty sitting on the bridge. But I wanted another scene. Maybe this should have been a two-parter. Maybe that would have helped. Uh, what happened in that episode. I wanted another scene where somebody was so genuinely curious about him and about his life and his adventures and what he knows about engineering and, and yeah, his ship, his constitution class enterprise. So I, I felt like it was a, a show with good intentions that just missed the mark. And, and I've talked to a handful of listeners about this where, where we've all said, man, imagine what they could have done if this had been a two-parter. And and we, we miss so much about the Dyson sphere, right? Right. Probably the, the greatest scientific discovery in all of human history. <laughs> and it is, uh, well, yeah, we got about eight minutes of uh, episode time to fill on that. So uh, here it is, and uh, see you later. So in the uh, Blu-ray release of uh, TNG, or the high-def release, rather, the detail on the Dyson sphere was worth it for the episode alone. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. And, and I love, even more so, you know, they built a giant wall, like a giant kind of flat wall with that door in it and all the detail on the outside. I love the reverse when they're coming in yes. and you see that matte painting and you've got clouds and mountains and all built onto this mechanical structure. It is really breathtaking. It was very cool. Well, John, as always, this has been a just a ton of fun for me. I look forward to... Uh, you and Ken moving on through um, the next set of series and seeing where uh, the next 25 years of Star Trek takes you guys. Uh, do you guys really have any appreciate it. conferences or uh, events coming up that you could uh, give us a taste on? Well, you know, for sure that we'll be in Vegas. That'll be in August of this year, August 2017. And we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of Next Gen. Um, but leading up to that, we're actually looking at a handful of other smaller and uh, regional conventions. So all of that, uh, as that comes, I will go up at missionlogpodcast.com. Well, John, thanks very much for taking the time to visit with me. And I look forward to our next uh, time to chat together. Always a pleasure, Tom. Can't wait. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. You would uh, like to listen to what I think is the best podcast series around everything Star Trek. It is missionlogpodcast.com. Found at that website, uh, developed by Rod Roddenberry and hosted by Ken Ray and John Champion. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us as it would help the rankings and help get the word out to a broader compliance community. Finally, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much, and I hope you will join me for the next episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.